we're going through the churches in Revelation. There's seven of them mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. They are, can you say them out loud? There's Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Um, we missed our song today, so we'll catch that another time. We'll catch that, that next week as we seek to, to do those. Uh, as you're, you're turning there to the book of Revelation chapter 2 is where, where we are. I just want to tell you that uh, this popped up on my, um, on my phone this week. Uh, uh, first day of LGBTQ plus Pride Month. And um, this is, um, obviously I didn't put this on my calendar. Uh, with a few clicks, it was pretty quickly I figured out where the, the source was to this. This is from the holidays of the United States shared calendar I have on my iPhone. How many of this... How many of this popped up on your phones too, right? Just all of you as well. And the inclusion of such an event on the holidays of the United States just shows where we are as a nation. There are enough enthusiastic supporters of this lifestyle as a nation that this month arises for Apple users, whatever, if they subscribe to this calendar, to say this is a month of LGBTQ plus pride. There are many in our nation that pushes this as a, as a good thing, taking pride in this, the nation, celebrating this community. Unless you think this takes place only across the world or in the um, liberal cities of New York or San Francisco or Las Vegas, I want to show you another picture here. These are an assortment of books. I'm not sure how well you can see them. You, you don't need to look very hard to see what they're about. These books are in our library public school system. Um, unless you can't see some of the titles, just, I'm just going to highlight a few. ABC Pride. A is for acceptance. B is for belonging. C is for celebrate. It helps young readers learning the alphabet to think through these words. Here's, here's what it says in Amazon's description. Children can discover letters and words in a fun and engaging way while also learning about the LGBTQIA plus community. Uh, just whatever you are, just wherever, wherever this is. That's a book for children in our public library. Uh, here's another one. Um, this one is a quick and easy guide to queer and trans identities. Uh, Amazon's description says, it's a great starting point for anyone curious about queer and trans life and helpful for those already on their own journeys. It's a great starting point. Th this book is said to be for anyone. It it's aimed towards children. There were 233 reviews on Amazon, average 4.8 stars. Uh, there's only one review that was three stars or less. It was three stars, and the reason for the poor rating was, quote, the art was not my style. I didn't like the choice to have information imparted by talking snails, but the information is undeniably good. Uh, one last book I just want to highlight, Queerfully and Wonderfully Made, A Guide for LGBTQ Plus Christian Teens. That title alone ought to make you shiver. Psalm 139, verse 14 says, fearfully and wonderfully made, and here's queerfully and wonderfully made, and the subtitle, A Guide to LGBTQ Plus Christian Teens. There's nothing Christian about LGBTQ+. That sin 
in the world. So here's the Amazon description of the book. Are you LGBTQ plus? Not sure? Whether you're queer or questioning, understanding sexuality and gender identity can be confusing. And if you're a Christian, questions of identity can even be scarier. Is there something wrong with you? Will your friends accept you? When should you tell your family? What your church? Queerfully and Wonderfully Made has all the answers to your questions and more. You'll get insights and support from an amazing group of LGBTQ plus professionals, as well as testimonies from young adult queer Christians who've recently been exactly where you are. Just very sad. But this is our nation, and this is where we are. And I say all this to set up the church in Thyatira because they were a sexualized community as well. Their culture was sexualized, and so much so that it was coming into the church all in the name of tolerance. Many had welcomed the immorality just right into the church. Now, I'm all for tolerance, okay? As a society, right, we can't work if we're not tolerant of one another. Um, I'm all for tolerance in the church. We need to live in harmony with one another. We need to tolerate one another. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to patiently endure one another. That's toleration. But toleration can go too far, normalizing sexualized, deviant behavior into the church. And that's what Jesus points out here to the church in Thyatira. He wasn't pleased with this church as they were too tolerant. So let's see what Jesus said to this church title of my message here this morning is don't be too tolerant and you'll just see as that comes out in the church of Thyatira it says verse 18 Revelation 2 and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze I know your works your love your faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He was near. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now the core of this message comes right there in verse 20. Perhaps you picked it up as you saw it. I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. The church in Thyatira was rebuked for their tolerance. Not for their tolerance in the public square, but in their tolerance for the church. Not for their tolerance over people struggling in their sin, struggling in their same-sex attraction, but rather the tolerance of those teaching and promoting that as acceptable in the church. I said my message entitled, Do Not, Don't Be Too Tolerant. Again, this letter 
Thyatira is written to this real church in Asia Minor. John was a political prisoner on Patmos. And uh, he then wrote this letter to these seven churches around Asia Minor. We've seen Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, now we're at Thyatira. Next, if you just continue the loop, the mail loop, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do that. Interesting here with Thyatira, we know hardly anything about Thyatira. We know a lot more about the other six, seven churches, the other six churches, I guess, than we do about Thyatira. Biblically, it's mentioned, I believe, only once. It's mentioned in Acts 16, verse 14, talking about Lydia. And Lydia was a seller of purple fabrics from Thyatira. <clears throat> Thyatira was this uh, producing, manufacturing, guild sort of environment where you know, they, they had these gods, and to be part of the union, if you will, you had to like, sacrifice to those gods, and, and Jezebel was saying it's okay. Also bringing in immorality into the church. That's about all we know of Thyatira, even though it's, it's the longest of all these letters. We know the littlest about it from either biblical or extra-biblical literature. But this, book began, this letter begins, <clears throat> like every other letter of the book of Revelation, with a description of Jesus. We pick it up right there in, uh, um, in, in verse 18. Just If you're looking for a hook, tie, tie your thoughts on just Christ. And he says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. This picks up from the imagery of Jesus that John saw of him back in, in chapter 1. It's exactly how Jesus described him. If you look at chapter 1, verse 14, <clears throat> the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His feet were like a flame of fire. His eyes were like a flame of fire, rather, and his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. Just picking that up. It's, it's all of the letters do. They learn to pick that up, bring that over, and speak something about Jesus. And the question is then, what does this mean? And why here? Well, why did Jesus pick out these characteristics of the church in Thyatira? And ultimately, we can't be sure. My guess is, though, it has something to do with the coming authority and judgment of Jesus, because that's where he's going to come and end with, if you look in verse 26, to the one who conquers and keeps my words to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. With his eyes of flaming fire, his feet of burnished bronze, he's demonstrating himself to have that authority. Jesus isn't playing games here. He's coming with blazing authority of judgment. Let us beware of the wrath of Christ. I think that's what verse 18 speaks about. And then in verse 19, we see the church in Thyatira being commended. And this is my, my second point. I'm just another hook there. Commendation. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. And, and for what Jesus says about this church, it sounds like an amazing church. I mean, a church filled with life and activity and committed members. Nobody's sitting on the sidelines. But the church is active and vibrant and alive. Just, let's just walk through these words here. I, I know your works. Church had works. The, the people in the church were doing good things. They were doing good deeds. They were caring for the poor and the weak. Among them were the household of God first, and then those outside the church probably. They're being witnesses for Christ in the community, probably speaking about the gospel of Jesus although maybe distorted with this Jezebel, somewhat preaching Christ. I know your works. He says, I know your love. This church had love. They had genuine affection for one another. They were self-sacrificing then in their, their service to one another because of their love. They had faith, trusting in God, believing in Jesus, believing in the gospel. They had service. They were committed to giving themselves to each other. They were meeting the needs of each other. They had patient endurance. They were in it for the long haul. They tolerated one another in love. They bore one another's burdens. 
They kept pressing on. And not only that, they were growing. They were increasing in all these virtues. Look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 19. He says, I know that your latter works exceed the first. That is, they were growing more and more. They were caring for the needy. More and more they were sharing the gospel. More and more they, their love for one another was, was growing. More and more they were stirring deeper and deeper in their hearts affections towards one another. More and more they're trusting in, in Jesus, even through hard times. More and more believing in the promises of God. More and more giving their time and their energy to serve others. More and more proving that Jesus was worth all their sacrifice and suffering. What a great church church in Thyatira, filled with energy, enthusiasm, work, and effort, and sweat, and tears, and labor. They sound like Paul's description of the church in Thessalonica, where Paul says, we remember your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if verse, this verse here, verse 19, represented all that we know about the church in Thyatira, we'd be amazed at this church. What a wonderful church, filled with bustle and activity and programs and love and service. But then comes the but. In verse 20, and the but dominates. So, though there were some good things, there were some tremendously difficult things. As highly as Jesus commends the church, so also he condemns the church. And that comes my, my third point, condemnation, if you're looking for a hook there. Verses 20 through 23, look at verse 20. We've seen this verse already. I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. This is the heart of Jesus' concern for the church in Thyatira. Yes, there's a life. Yes, they have this activity. Yes, they're displaying the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness. But they're tolerating false teaching. They're tolerating teaching that says sexual immorality is okay if you, for those believers in Jesus. It's okay. That activity that you're involved in, that's okay. It's fine. Eating, mixing idolatry with whatever guilds or whatever was happening there, union sacrifice in order to keep their jobs, whatever. That's okay. Yeah, you can do that. You can offer to Caesar. That's okay. Still follow Christ. You can do that. Maybe this is a highly graced message. Believe in Jesus. He forgives all your sins. It doesn't matter how you live. Very similar to the church at, at Pergamum as well, perhaps. The teaching, though, was coming from this woman, Jezebel. She was a self-appointed prophetess. She says it calls herself a prophetess. That is, she says, I'm the mouthpiece of God, says me. You can listen to me, and you can't, how can you argue with that? God told me to tell you. That's what she was using, that line, which is very effective if you want to accomplish your own task for the will of God. Just say, well, God told me this, and you can do whatever you want. That's what she was doing. And she was leading people into sin. That's right there where the contradiction is. If you're a mouthpiece of God, you're not going to lead people into sin. That's just how, how it is. Now, I don't think that her real name was Jezebel. Uh, I think Jezebel was used as a nickname, if you will, just describing her and her characteristics of things. Um, I mean, first of all, people didn't name their children Jezebel in the days of the New Testament. Um, like, how many Judases do you know in our culture today? Jezebel was not a good woman. And Jezebel is a name that Jesus gave to this particular woman because she's like the Jezebel of the Old Testament. It's a little bit like what the Lord called Judah. Sodom and Gomorrah, he called them. Like he's calling 
this woman, whoever she is, Jezebel. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. This was Isaiah writing, right? 700 B.C., referring back to Sodom and Gomorrah, which were destroyed by the Lord for their very same issues that our country is celebrating this month. And so likewise, Thyatira, there's a woman that Jesus identified as Jezebel, like identifying just her and her badness. You can read about her in First and Second Kings. She's a wife of King Ahab of Israel, corrupt to her core, cunning, manipulative, played a prominent role in suppressing the worship of the Lord, bringing people into Baal worship. She opposed the prophets of God, ordering many of them to be killed, tried to kill Elijah, but only the kindness of God kept Elijah alive by the, uh, the brook. Jesus, Jezebel ultimately, right? remember she was tossed from a tower, her blood splattered against the walls, horses trampled her body, and she was eaten by dogs. So much so there was hardly anything left of her to bury. And a woman like her was in Thyatira doing the same things, leading people into idolatry and immorality. And here's the worst part, the church was tolerating it. What, what a contrast between the, the church in Thyatira and the church in Ephesus. You remember a couple weeks ago when the church in Ephesus, they were commended for their spiritual discernment. You can look back there, chapter 2, verse 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. The, the church in Ephesus was discerning, and especially teachers coming in, found them to be false. But their problem was, Revelation 2, verse 4 I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. They, they, they'd lost their love. They'd lost their fervor. They had lost their zeal. So, so whereas the church in Thyatira just continued up in their fervency and zeal for the Lord, Ephesus went down. Thyatira wasn't discerning. Ephesus was, but they, um, guess they didn't discern. I think the exact opposite, Thyatira, right? Their faith, vibrant and strong. Verse 19, I know your works, your love and your faith, your service, patient endurance, your latter works exceed the first. But the church in Thyatira, little spiritual discernment. Tolerating this woman, Jezebel. So, right, you might not, which is better? Is it better to be in a church where people are, are active and serving and, and loving, but yet tolerating false teaching? Or is it, is it better to be in a church where teaching is exactly right, but where love is not there? They're both bad, all right? They're both bad. <clears throat> it's a bad choice to make. Jesus wants us to be a, a loving, serving, evangelizing, reaching out alive in our faith church, and yet discerning also, testing the prophets. That's the idea here of the book of Revelation right there, that Jesus is trying to shape and mold the things he commends and the things he condemns. While the church tolerated Jezebel, Jesus didn't. If you look at verse 21, we see Jesus stepping up and taking action that the church wasn't. The church just tolerated. But Jesus took action. He said, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Time to repent. It's what we need to do with anyone trapped in sin. Be patient with them. Time to repent. And I think particularly this month, Gay Pride Month, whatever it is, Rosaria Butterfield is super helpful in this regard. Um, she was a blaming homosexual, and she was converted and changed, transformed. And, and what she identified was this pastor who accepted her as someone who was in the image of God and yet made clear lines that he was not approving of her actions. 
And I think that's the line that in our society we need to do. We need to accept people. They're, they're image bearers. They're, they're, they're children. They're creation of God without approving of their behavior. And the problem of the toleration of our nation today is that if you accept people, you have to approve them. And we don't have to approve them. But we can accept them and love them. That's <clears throat> lost in this world and trapped in their sin. And if people are outside the church, we need to give them time to repent. <clears throat> if people are outside the church, unconvinced of the gospel of Christ, love them and tell them of Jesus and show them of the joy that Jesus has given you and warn them of the wrath to come and, and explain to them of the, the glories of the cross of Christ. That though we're sinners, yet we find grace and forgiveness and comfort only there in Christ. But we need to repent from her sins and we need to turn and trust and follow Jesus and urge them to believe, beg them to believe. I'll give him time. Paul told Timothy, the Lord's bondservice must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. <clears throat> Excuse me. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. As you're patient with people, as you're pressing them with the gospel, you're just trusting, you're praying that God may grant them repentance. And that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, being captured by him to do his will. And be patient like God is patient. Second Peter chapter 3. One day to the Lord is like a thousand years. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's patience. Jesus gave Jezebel patience. What he says. But, but they're in, in the church. In the church, you deal with people a little bit differently. Right? People are in the church and their sin. According to Jesus' own words in Matthew 18, you take them aside privately, show them their sin, talk to them about their sin, and give them time. Are they going to repent or not? And if they, they don't repent, you bring along another person or two to speak with someone so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every sin will be confirmed and they show them their sin, urge them to repent, but be patient with them. If they refuse to repent, you bring it to the attention of the church. The church then is called to go and speak with that person, <clears throat> calling them to repent, urging them to repent. We're patient. And only then, kind of when patience has run its course, we cast them out of the church, as we have done on a couple of occasions. This exact same problem. I remember confronting people alone. I remember bringing people along with me to confront them. I remember telling to the church to confront them. And they've not been welcomed back. The church didn't do this in Thyatira. None of this. And in the absence of doing this, this is what Jesus did with Jezebel. I don't know how he communicated with Jezebel. I'm not sure how he gave her time to repent. But somehow Jesus gave her time to repent, but she didn't repent. She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And so, verse 22, comes the condemnation. Behold, I will throw her on a sickbed. She loved the bed of immorality. She gets the bed of sickness. And it will not go well with her. It will not go well with those who followed her teaching. Verse 22 again, right? Behold, I will throw her on a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. Unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead. That's how serious God takes sexual sin. He'll torment those engaged in such sins with great tribulation. 
Again, I bring up, this is the key to Revelation, is that John even himself talked about how he was a fellow partaker of the tribulation. And people are going through hard times. But this is a great tribulation. He's going to really bring it hard upon these people. Striking them dead eventually if they do not repent. Sodom and Gomorrah style, perhaps. Unless we think this is only to do with LGBT Pride Month and out there. No, it has to do with your computer and your phone and your eyes as well. We have people here in the church professing Christians, yet living in this sexualized, pornographic society for us. It's all around us. God calls us to live differently. He calls us to live in purity. Do you realize this is, this is a, a point of seeing God, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The blessing of a pure life is a vision of God. The pure in heart shall see God. And, and the warning of Thyatira is for us. We might have all the works. We might have all the, the great love. We might have great faith and patient endurance. We might be growing in our zeal for God. We might be going into the jail. We might be evangelizing our neighbors. We might be doing all this. And yet, if our hearts and our minds are drawn away after sexual sin that the world presents before us all around who are we kidding? The Lord knows. He's the one who searches hearts and minds. Look at verse 23. I will strike your children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. God knows what you do in secret. He knows your search history. He knows your heart and your mind better than you do, by the way. And you walk in his ways, is great reward. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it will be well with you. Psalm 128, 1 and 2. But when you walk in rebellion against the Lord, you will receive your just reward. And that's what Jesus here is saying. I will give to each of you according to your works. So let me give you some counsel. Better let, yeah, let... Let's Jesus give us some counsel, verses 24 and 25. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, so you, you've got this church involved and engaged in this sexual immorality, and it was a little bit different back then than it is now, involved in this sexual immorality, and you've got lots of people there following Jezebel. But there's, there's this, this other pocket in the church, whether it's a, a remnant or whether it's half or whether it's who knows what it is, but to the rest of you, in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, right? Who hear Jezebel speak and don't like it and don't hold to it and reject it, but yet still in church, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. They didn't go to our Sunday school class to learn these deep things, right? They didn't, they didn't meet with her independently to learn these, these great deep things of Satan. Just show you what her teaching is, how it's from the pit of hell, this woman Jezebel. To you I say, right? If you're not embracing her, he says, nothing. I don't lay another burden on you. You're there. You're stuck. Just hold fast until I come. In other words, right, if your heart is pure, if you're not walking in the ways of the immorality and idolatry of Jezebel, if you haven't followed in these deep things of Satan, then just hold fast. Keep pressing on. This is how Jesus sees the church. He sees it as a whole, and he sees us individuals. And while Jesus may not be pleased with the church in Thyatira, he recognizes there are pockets of true and faithful people in the church. And I just say, this is how you need to see other churches as well. 
I mean, how easy is it for us to decry the, the big church in town that, that preaches a false gospel, brings in sham healers, people live like the world? Oh, there's filled activity and, and outreach and enthusiasm to the community. They're making little change in the hearts of many of those who come, but there very well could be some faithful people in those churches as well. Why they don't leave, I'm not exactly sure. But for those in Thyatira, they couldn't leave. Because in Thyatira, probably, as in most places in the early church, there was one church in town. It was the church of Thyatira. This wasn't, um, as I look to the angel of the church, the first Baptist church in Thyatira, right, this, or the the angel of the church of the Bible church in uh, Thyatira. I think there's one church in Thyatira, and they're kind of stuck. And he says, if you're stuck, you just need to press on. You just need to hold fast. He says, hold fast, verse 25, until I come. And again, that's what Revelation's about. It's about the coming of Jesus. And they were to hold fast until he came. So likewise, if you're in a rock and a hard place, whatever, just, there are many times he says, hold fast, just press on. And for you, maybe it's not in a church. A good application might be maybe at your work. There's a dynamic going on at work, but you just can't get out of it. Uh, you, just, you hold fast. Just hold fast to Christ. Finally, we come to my fifth and last point. Conquer. The one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I'll give him the morning star. He was near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, what is breathtaking about these words is that they're spoken about in Psalm chapter 2 about Jesus. And we join Jesus in conquering the nations. Psalm 2 says it this way. Psalm 2, 7 through 9. This is to Christ. I will tell of the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's God the Father to Jesus. He says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is a messianic psalm which the disciples knew well. This is Jesus. Oh, now are you going to come and redeem Israel? Because you're coming with this rod to break and to rule the mighty nations. And Jesus, when he comes, we're going to see that in Revelation. He's going to come with his mighty, mighty armor, mighty sword, mighty club, fiery eyes, feet of burnished bronze, coming to judge and establish his kingdom. Yet, here the promise to those in Thyatira, this bad church, if you will, this church with this false teacher that is endured and tolerated, this pocket of people, these people will join Jesus in having authority over the nations. And you can even see that, Jesus says that at the, the end of verse 27, even as I myself, right, Psalm 2, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, Right to crush the nations and rule them with a rod of iron, so also the one who conquers keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. This is breathtaking, right? And and Revelation does that. I mean, it also speaks about how he makes his people a kingdom and priests to his God, like like all of us, and will rule and reign. But that's not now. That is that is then. And then then we have this other dynamic. I will give him the morning star. I know some of you are coming from Morningstar Church. Do you remember what Morningstar means? Morningstar means Jesus. I think 
Revelation 22, verse 16. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So Jesus says, and I will give him the morning. It's like he's talking in third person. I'll give him the morning star. I'm going to give him myself. But you got to say, okay, so why is he saying this about himself? It's always, it's always good to ask. Like, why is he describing himself as the eyes of flame of fire, feet are like burnished bronze? Why is he giving the, the morning star, right? The, the morning star is like the, the vision of hope, the light of hope that's just arising up in the morning, perhaps, before the day comes, just that little bit. Here's, here's Jesus. Here's the, the bright morning star. And those who overcome receive Jesus, have authority with Jesus, reign with Jesus. But that's then, not, not now. Okay? We don't need to deal with the sin of the world at this moment. We need to deal with sin within the church. As Jesus said, right, when he's talking to Pontius Pilate, John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. See, the message of Revelation also isn't that, hey, you guys need to fight back. Because remember, they were persecuted people and things were coming down and crashing upon them. And Jesus saying, you know what? I got your enemies. Don't worry about that. I will come and I will shatter them and I will break them. We don't need to fight back. We just need to wait. We need to wait till he gives us the authority. In the future sometime, his kingdom comes. That's the time that we will have authority to rule the rod of the nation. Not now. But that doesn't mean we sit back and ignore the culture world's wars of the day. It doesn't. I began my message with this picture. It's a picture of an assortment of LGBTQIA books over our, our Rockford Library. I'm not sure. Did it, did it come to your mind at all? Like, so Steve, why, why do you, how'd you get that picture? Did that cross any of your guys' minds? So maybe you Googled it, right? Tried to look Rockford Public Library. You used to work there. Right? That's why you got it, Carol. Like, oh. Are these books really there? Is it a picture on the website? Like, what is it? Like, is it a private? You didn't find it, right? Because I have a friend who checked out all these books. He didn't check them out so he could read them. He checked them out so kids couldn't read them. Brilliant, right? Then he wrote me this. He says, most of my better ideas, it seemed, happened because I was doing something ordinary, and then thought of something extraordinary. That was a case when looking for a particular book for one of our kids this past week at the local library. As I read the spines of the books where my book was supposed to be located, I spot an interesting title. Quote, Pink, Blue, and You. Question for kids about gender and stereotypes. A book for four to eight-year-olds published earlier last year. I knew almost immediately that it was most likely a book geared to tell kids that anything goes regarding human sexuality. As I opened the book, my assumptions were confirmed and my heart sunk. I was in the kids section where books for kids were supposed to be not, this was not a book for kids. Not just because it wasn't age appropriate because, but because it didn't tell the truth. It was then that I noticed several other books in the same section intending to bring the same level of confusion to young minds who aren't old enough to know any different. I wondered in a moment what I could do to help these books out of the hand, keep these books out of the hands of kids who, who need to know the truth about themselves and not be told that they get to decide how to identify and how to do whatever they want to do with their bodies. The front desk certainly wouldn't take me seriously if I were to complain about the book titles, or at best, I would have to fill out a form that would be quickly placed in the nearest trash can. Then it came to me, I could check out the books and thereby disrupt the cycle of grooming that our society has now deemed as not only acceptable, but even as good. 
I could, at least for a time, keep them out of the hands of kids who might pick them up during Pride Month, uh, higher than normal traffic for time for such material. In the ensuing days, I, I placed a hold and picked up just shy of 100 titles, both physical and digital, as many as I could get with two library adult cards. While I didn't set out to take the offensive in regarding to books on a bookshelf earlier this week, I suddenly knew that I could do something simple about it, and I did it. I would encourage you to think and pray how you can do as well. Our kids are worth more than the, our kids are worth more than the fight. Our kids are more than worth the fight. Now, that's not that it's about keeping evil books from people who don't deserve to be from people where they don't deserve to be, but what would happen if a small group of people set out to check out these book titles on an ongoing basis? The downside would be the library buys more copies, but the upside would be worth the small effort taken. And what might happen if this were to catch on and become a movement throughout our region, state, and eventually the entire country? We need to think more intelligently, pray more carefully, and do what we can to protect the young among us. We cannot stand by and idly as sexual predators prey on unsuspecting kids, and that includes the public library. What will you do to stand up and do something? As the old adage goes, only dead fish float downstream. It's time to wake up and act. I'm not calling all of us to do that, though that might not be a bad strategy. It was interesting, helpful, providing some sort of a dent. Right? But there is someone here is trying to overcome. Right? Verse 26 the one who conquers, right? The one who overcomes, right? The, the one who is seeking to do what can be done is doing something. Are you doing something? Just going to sit back? How are you holding class? What are you doing? It's really the message here to, to Thyatira. We as a church, certainly we, we can't tolerate any of this type of false teaching, and we won't. You know where we are for sure, right? What about you and your life? What about our culture war, right? we got something bigger going on and figuring out how to, how to sway the tide. I don't know. Let's pray. Father, what an appropriate message Thyatira is for us. A church in an idolatrous, sexualized society describes us exactly. God, in, in false teaching abounds in our nation, that is for sure. I pray for those believers in those churches where much fruit is being put forth and yet lives are bankrupt. God would pray you'd protect them. And if they have opportunity to be in a better place. God, but not in a better place that just teaches sound doctrine but lacks love. God, a, a place that, that upholds your truth and the glories of the gospel and yet is alive and vibrant because you are in and among us. And I pray, God, where we lack, um, I, I, don't, I don't stand here today thinking that we are the, the prime place of, of all, everything. God, but I pray that you would work in us, that we would have this genuine love and passion and fire desire for you, and that we also would be faithful to you and to your word, and that you would give us wisdom as to how to deal and navigate with this country of ours in which we live. God, where Sodom and Gomorrah is prideful. God, so I pray you'd be gracious to us. I pray you'd be merciful to us. I pray you'd help us to hold fast in our society and work a revival in us. Change us, O oh God, by your grace, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.